This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Once again, everybody, we welcome you to this latest edition of Gun on One, the podcast. It is brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. Well, NFL Draft 2021 has come and gone. Players are drafted. Uh, opinions have been formed. Grades have been given out. So to take a look back on what the Philadelphia Eagles have done uh, this year to add to their repertoire of young talent, I brought in a couple of guys I've known for a long time. Uh, I've considered them friends. Definitely colleagues. Uh, they are excellent writers as well. Uh, so they are Tim McManus from ESPN.com and Dave Zangaro from NBC Sports Philadelphia. Guys, how you doing? You're gone. What's happening? Just living a dream like you guys, man. I just want to be like you guys when I grow up. <laughs> it's good to see you, man. <laughs> Likewise, man. It's been a long time, Dave, since you and I. It's been over a year since you and I have physically seen each other. Wow. And Tim as well. I haven't seen you guys since, my goodness, last the 2019 season, the end of 2019. Wow. Usually the, you, uh, the draft weekend's great for reporters. You know, we get to, in that NovaCare auditorium. Yeah. Draft on that huge projection screen on stage. Yeah, man. You get access to the cafeteria and get all the good snacks. So I, miss, I the, missed that too. This the, the, the best thing about the draft is the food for me. I mean, you get the great meal on Thursday night. Uh, and then Saturday morning, I can't wait to get in the Novacare complex on Saturday morning because they have breakfast up until two o'clock, and you can all you can eat is like going to a buffet, and they have some great cooks there. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm loading up on everything, especially when it's free. <laughs> yeah, I miss the snacks. I want them to like send them to my house when I'm doing it. For <laughs> they can get like a care package of, of like cashews and and trail mix. I take it. <laughs> And the Doug Peterson ice cream machine. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness, yes. Hey, hey, tell me if you guys are like me. Now, I love the draft. I get jacked up like everybody else. But I'm sorry, but after round three, it, it, to me it loses some of its luster. I'm like, okay, I'm done with this. I mean, we have to obviously have to cover the entire draft. But after round three, that adrenaline rush for me is gone, man. I, do you guys feel the same way? I don't. I'm a dork. I, I, I love the whole draft, man. Like I, um, 
it's fun to find, especially look, I, I don't, I'm not super familiar with all the guys who get drafted. There's too many of them, but you know, when they draft a guy like Gainwell, who like you watched him a little bit and, and during the pre-draft process, you're trying to figure out like which players make sense for the Eagles. He's a guy that made a ton of sense for them. So then you see them draft him and like, I feel like I have a head start and there's a, like, I feel like I have a leg up in a way that like, I know about this guy and I can tell people about this guy. Uh, and as hokey as it sounds, I love hearing all the, like the, the stories of, you know, we saw that, that Milton Williams video of him finding out he was drafted. Like I, I don't get tired of that. I'm, I'm a softy when it comes to that stuff. Guys finally getting drafted. I, I, I don't get tired of that. I'm with deep. Yeah, I, I, I hit grind mode on day three. Uh, totally, totally honest with you. Especially a year like this. It's like you're not watching. Half of these guys didn't even play. Uh, so I think you're like less familiar with the product, with the, you know, with the players, especially the ones later in the round. So, you know, when you have some kind of, you know, context for who they are, the journey that they've been through, what they bring to the table and the high stakes of, of that moment, then it becomes obviously a lot more engaged. So I like those stories that you're talking about too, Dave, but you know, once we're getting into like seven o'clock on, on Saturday, I'm, I'm, I'm checking the, checking the old watch. <laughs> it is a grind. I think my blood was like 50% coffee by the end of that weekend. <laughs> so, so the Eagles go into this draft with 11 draft picks. They come out with nine players. Um, they get uh, six of the nine players are defensive players, three from the SEC. We've long chastised this organization for neglecting uh, taking players from basically a triple-A league, which is obviously the premier league in college football, and they get four defensive linemen. Uh, I'll start with you, Tim. Uh, what's some, what surprised you the most in general about what the Eagles did or did not do in 2021? I mean, I'll start with Landon Dickerson. To me, that was the, the biggest surprise, uh, not because of the prospect that he could turn out to be. I mean, certainly, if you, you ask around enough about him, I mean, there's so many people around the sport that are in love with the, the potential and are in love with the person and believe that he can be kind of a transcendent, special, locker room changing prospect. And so all those things make sense to me. But the extensive back, uh, injury backgrounds makes this a high-risk pick for me when there was clearly some other uh, players that were available that fit needs. I mean, whether it's Christian Barrymore or Asante Samuel or Aziz Ajulari or KOJ, uh, JOK from the linebacker from Notre Dame. I mean, these are all guys that you could have reasonably made a, a, as the that pick in the second round. And I think Eagles fans would have been really amped if the first two rounds went that way with one of those prospects plus Smith in the first round. Uh, so that ended up being the biggest surprise for me that they they pulled the trigger on Dickerson. Dave, you agree or disagree? Because we all believe that going in, at least my perspective, I thought it was imperative, especially as high as this team was drafting, that they come away with at least two to three players that they can plug and play right now. Um, so we're – you surprised in any way with what they did or did not do? Yeah, I mean, and and I think the Dickerson thing, like Tim mentioned, goes beyond that. Uh, I'll be honest, I understand the, how much upside there is there. The risk for me would have been too great. I don't think I would have made that pick. I, and and that's not to say he won't be a great player, but there's such a boom bust factor to him. Where I mean, he could become an All Pro player, and we can be looking back at this draft in ten years, like man, they got a great steal. They got 
you know, a, a top 15 type of talent at 37, but the risk is, is so great, especially for a team that we just went through this in 2017 with Sydney. And I, I know that there are differences and, and how he was really happy to point them out. But the fact of the matter is when they took Sydney Jones at 43, they had a lot of the same selling points. This guy wouldn't be here if not for the injury. We feel like we're getting a first round talent in the second round. And I, I, I like the player. I think the risk was too great there. And, and I look, I, I do like the fact that they stuck with their board, or at least they have the draft that gives the appearance that they stuck to their board because they didn't draft a cornerback very early. Um, and I, I respect that. I mean, if they're sitting at 37 and they think, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. or Kelvin Joseph, one of those next corners wasn't worth that pick, I get it. And I also get it in the third round, but Howie's not afraid to trade, right? So, if, if there's not a cornerback in a spot where you're drafting, you can get to another spot. He's shown that up and down the draft board that he's willing to move around. So, um, yeah, I mean, you look at two of the first three picks, don't project as starters this year. I mean, Landon Dickerson's not going to play unless someone gets hurt. And Milton Williams is behind Fletcher Cox and, and Javon Hargrave. So uh, it also shows you they're, they're thinking of the future. I mean, they're not too worried about this year. As we, as we scan the entire draft for the Eagles, let's start at the top. Um, do we agree in unison that uh, Devontae Smith was a slam dunk? I mean, they could have gone in a different direction. They could have gone to corner. Uh, but I, I think it, it was a perfect pick for what this team needs, especially if you're trying to fight firepower with firepower. Uh, I'll start with you, Dave, first. Yeah, I came into this looking at four players. Uh, who I thought they realistic players, right? We're not talking about Kyle Pitts or Jamar Chase who are kind of out of their range once they traded back. But the four players were the two Alabama receivers, Patrick Sertan from Alabama and J.C. Horn from South Carolina. And I thought if they landed any of those four players, great. That's, that's a good pick. Uh, I thought one of them would be there at 12. And I, I think maybe the Eagles were hoping that too. And then the quarterbacks don't come off the board. And honestly, the way the first round went was not very good for the Eagles. It just or at least the, the first, um, first seven, eight, nine picks. And I give Howie credit that he didn't sit on his hands there and he had a plan. He went up and got the guy. Obviously, you would have preferred for them to sit at 12 and get Devontae Smith. But, yeah, I really like him. And I know there's the concern about the weight. And it is, it's a legitimate concern because there's never really been a guy quite like that who's gotten drafted that early. But I don't know about you, Tim, but I've kind of, the more I've heard about it, honestly, a lot of the same things I've heard about Dickerson, I've heard about Smith since they drafted him. Um, just the the kind of legacy he's leaving Alabama on and off the field. Uh, seems like not just a special player, but a special guy. And uh, he has the ability to overcome the weight. And I think we've seen that in his play. Um, he, he does a lot of things really well. I mean, if he had, if he has one elite trait, it's probably his hands. Right. But he's also a really good route runner. He's really smart. He uses leverage. Well, uh, he plays tougher. He does go up and get those contested balls. So, you know, once you start stacking all those things, like all of a sudden you end up with, I think, a really good player. And I'd be kind of surprised if he's not very good right away. Yeah, the only thing that would keep it from being a, a slam dunk would be the weight concerns, Dave. I mean, uh, you know, there there is um, not much of a history of players at that weight who have performed at an exceptionally high level. They certainly exist, but, you know, that's the risk that you're taking on. But outside of that, 
I don't see any flaws. And you, you hit on, uh, you know, his mental approach that goes on with his ability. And when I was, uh, you know, preparing for the draft and looking at these wide receivers kind of early on and, you know, first you put on Devonte Smith and then Jamar Chase, like, to me, I didn't even see the debate uh, at first. I was like, wow, Devontae Smith impressed me so much uh, with not just the route running ability, but with the body control, with the circus-like catches, the ability to create separation, the breakaway speed. I was like, well, what's the debate here? And then you start saying that the, the weight was the factor that was holding Smith down. But he's never uh, allowed that to be a problem for him. And he was going against, you know, the top competition that college has to offer and was able to dominate. And just look at the fact that the championship game this past year, you know, all the numbers that he puts up was a 200 plus yards and three touchdowns in the first half. Like ridiculous. Um, so I think that that's going to end up being an excellent pick for the Eagles. And I think that they're going to, you know, he's going to ascend to that number one receiver spot basically as soon as he hits the field this summer. See, this is why I brought you guys in. And before we continue uh, breaking down the draft, I want to ask you guys in general, how many hours do you guys put in prepping for the draft with all your pre-draft homework? Uh, Tim, I'll go with you first. I mean, you know, like I said, uh, the reason I said when I when I decided to do a draft uh, post post-draft show, I said, who do I want to do this with? And you guys are at the top of the list. So I ask you, how many hours do you guys put in getting ready for a draft and, and critiquing players and breaking them down and stuff? I would say the the bulk of April is kind of dedicated to that from a professional standpoint. You get through free agency, and that's where the attention turns to. And I'm not like the this huge draft, Nick. I mean, you can tell by our responses earlier that, that Dave kind of dives into the, the nitty-gritty <laughs> back-end guys probably more than I do. But but you, I watch, and and I think probably more importantly is, is try to talk to as many people as I can who, you know, have more trained eyes than I do uh, to gain their opinion on on these prospects and, and what they bring to the table. So come April, I mean, that's that's what the day consists of pretty much. It's trying to figure out this draft. Dave, do you even sleep when you're getting ready for a draft? Yeah, I'm kind of like Tim. Like, you know, I, I watch college football a ton, so I think you start off with a base of, like, I know about Devontae Smith because he's on my TV every Saturday, right? So uh, those guys are a little easier. But like Tim said, I mean, there are people who are way better trained at deciphering whether or not their skills will translate and you trust those people. I mean, you have to talk to those people and try to figure out because it's not good enough to be a good player at a big school. It doesn't always translate. We've seen that a ton of times uh, you're drafting for projection, not for production. Right. So um, not to say that production doesn't matter. If you do that against the SEC, it means something, but uh, it doesn't necessarily mean it translates. So um, and this year was tough because you had all the wacky numbers coming out of pro days and it, it, it made the whole thing much tougher. And it was tougher for teams too, because they didn't have, I mean, the combine is such a great spot, uh, obviously to talk to the prospects and get the medicals and all that stuff, but just the testing alone, it, you start off at the same start line. Whereas it, at a pro day. Yeah. I mean, if you run a, a four, three, five at the pro day, you're fast no matter what, but we don't know if it's a four, three, five. Right. I mean, it, there are different ways to look at it. Um, I think you can gain stuff out of those numbers, but I think it was a lot harder this year for sure. All right. So we, we touched on Landon Dickerson around number two, uh, Dickerson around number two. And, you know, I, I, I'm of the belief that if you're going to take a center, why wouldn't you take a guy like Cree Humphrey? Uh, out of Oklahoma. I, I thought he was just as good. Now, you're right. Both of you are right. Landon has a potential to be a perennial pro bowler each and every year. But, 
you just have that big dark cloud over him in terms of being a healthy entity for this team. And it's not that far removed from what they already went through with a guy named Sidney Jones. So as we move it around number three, they pick up this defensive lineman named Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech. And I'm still thinking, a cornerback's coming. You have to get a cornerback here. Did they really need Milton Williams? And, and again, I want to preface everything we talk about here. In no way, shape, or form are we knocking any of these guys because some of these guys could turn out to be incredible frontline players for them. But we just questioned the, the, the method behind the madness of Howie Roseman. Did they really need a M- Milton Williams uh, at that particular spot? Let's welcome yeah, in Tom Donahoe and he can talk. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, clearly some uh, difference of opinion even uh, in the Eagles brass over over that one, D. Gun. Oh my goodness! Based off of you that. know, but dude, I, I'm telling yeah. you that that was uh, that that was unbelievable. I mean, we, we very seldom do we get a sneak peek like that, and I'm sure Howie Roseman did not want that to happen. And what we're talking about is that video surfaces of Howie fist bumping everybody in the room. He gets to Tom Donahoe, who I've known since the 1990s when Tom was in uh, with the Steelers and I was at NBC in Pittsburgh. And I know what kind of intensity that man has behind closed doors and how he likes to build a team. So what were you guys' initial thoughts when you saw the expression and the half-hearted fist bump from Tom Donahoe? Well, it's hard not to go back to, you know, the excellent reporting that's been done this offseason and the internal, uh, you know, dynamics that are that are happening and the dysfunction that's going on and not connect that to that moment, um, you know, because we we know about the tension that's existed between Howie Roseman and members of his scouting staff. And then seemingly it comes to life on national television uh, during the third round pick. And you can understand where uh, a scout's frustration would come in here, right? Because Roseman trades back for an additional sixth round pick when he already had two of them. And a couple of guys go off, including Aaron Robinson, the cornerback out of UCF. And there's not much doubt to me that that was probably the uh, Donahoe's guy. And the Giants traded up five spots to get him. And he's probably just like, what the hell? Uh, (laughs) Why'd you have to do that? And I think that's really, you know, I I don't know that it really speaks to this deeper rift between the two of them. But certainly it shows, you know, the high stakes nature of it, uh, the competitiveness that guys like Donahoe have. And all the different things that Roseman has to weigh too, because when when they released their video later, I mean, it showed Jonathan Gannon basically jumping so high his head almost hit the ceiling after that Williams pick. And so there's so many things that you know to to Roseman to be fair to Roseman that he has to kind of balance in that moment. Yeah, Dave admitted you enjoyed seeing that video, did you? Well, the first thing I thought was like, man, that's just unfortunate for them that yeah. you're right, Tim. Yep. In, in in any other year that looks bad, this year it looks awful because we've we've seen all the reporting and that was like a big theme of that whole pre-draft press conference was hey we all need to pull in the same direction this year at least for me it was like they need to start kind of pulling in the same direction scouting coaching analytics front office and the first round pick it was like they're doing it you know (laughs) they're all together in this and then you know the next day you see that and I want to point out like the, the John Gannon clip is important because obviously he's a defensive coordinator, but he's also, um, he has that scouting background and he's a former defensive back and a former defensive backs coach. So you would think that if anyone were to be upset that they didn't take a defensive back there, it might be him. And he looked like he was, I mean, you're right, Tim, he, he was 
almost jumping up and down. So I think that matters. And if you had to choose like, which guy do you want to be happy with this pick the defensive coordinator or Tom Donahoe, you'd probably pick the defensive coordinator. Uh, and I, I don't know Tom as well as you Gunner, but I know he's not one yeah. to bite his tongue. No, uh, no. So I, I wasn't like super surprised by that. If he felt a certain way about it, he's not a guy to just be like, yeah, I thought you did a good job. He, that's not him. All right, so they finally get a cornerback in round number four. They go to the Big 12 to get him in Zach McPherson. Uh, he was a guy who was voted first team all Big 12 last season. And I will say this, um, he's well-versed in covering passes because that's all they do in their conferences, throw the football. Uh, so give me some, Both of you, give me some insight on, on them taking a Zach McPherson in the fourth round. And do you think you can help this team immediately or is he somebody who's going to have to ease his way into the NFL game? They might not well, have a choice. Have right? <clears throat> right, Dave? What was that? Going to have the opportunity to help right away, right? That's, I mean, they, they might have a choice. I mean, if it's between Zach McPherson and me, they're going to put Zach McPherson out there, right? <laughs> I mean, they just don't have a lot of options right now. Um, it, he's a weird player in this draft because opinions were so split on him. Uh, from the top draft experts. I mean, uh, I think Daniel Jeremiah had him rated as the 85th best player in this draft. And some people, I think McShay maybe didn't have him in his top 350. So I, that's, a, that's a pretty big disparity. Um, it, it seems like he he handled zone coverage really well, which is, a, I think, going to be a prerequisite for anyone in this defense. I think they're obviously going to have more of that in there. So we'll see. But he's going to have the chance to play, I would I would think, immediately unless – they go out and sign someone, which is, I guess, is a, a possibility too. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the people that are high on McPherson are really high on McPherson. And, uh, you know, you've been seeing as you, all these uh, draft report grades come in, there's a lot of people that are giving Eagles a ton of credit for that pick and we'll see how it turns out, but he's definitely got some ball skills. He's a good tackler. He's got some decent length and, and good speed. Uh, so they feel pretty good about it, uh, but they need to get it right. I mean, if you, Howie Roseman has admitted in the past that cornerback, not his strength. I mean, that's, you know, that's been a position that they have really struggled to draft well. And it's always led to them having to go to free agency or trade in order to fill those spots. I mean, it's been a, a clear Achilles heel for this organization. And so, you know, did they turn a corner here? I mean, you know, I don't know that history gives them the benefit of the doubt. But, um, you know, there are definitely some people that are high on McPherson. So so we get to the fifth round, and they get this kid named Kenneth Gainwell. First of all, I love the name, Gainwell, uh, out of Memphis, who opted out of 2020. Uh, and, you know, and, but you look at his numbers from 2019. And now here's one position I think this young man could really help this team right now. Um, I think we'll, we'll all agree here in terms of not just running the football, but catching the ball out of the backfield as well. Yeah, I think he's going to play right away. Um, I, I think he's going to kind of supplant Boston Scott pretty early uh, and, and be that change of pace guy. And, and it's such an easy comparison, but it's a good one to Naheem Hines in the Indy. I mean, these guys are really comparable players, and they've used Naheem Hines to perfection in Indy. And it takes – look, you need the right coaching staff for a player like this because he is kind of a weird hybrid. He's not the type of running back you want to just run between the tackles. So – you have to have certain plan when you draft a guy like this. And I think they will. I mean, I think if, if Nick Sirianni has a plan to use him, like Grant Reich has used Naheem Hines and yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. 
And the one good thing about Gainwell that we've seen a little bit is that he's at least a very willing pass protector. He's willing to get dirty and, and block. And that's important. I mean, that's the one thing that keeps young running backs off the field a lot of times as a rookie. So if he has that part of it, I think they're going to trust him to play quite a bit in his first year. Tim, does this slider build uh, bother you in any way? The only thing that uh, concerns me is that who is the power back for this team? It doesn't mean that you have to spend a, a high draft pick on on one of those players, but certainly I know that they had identified that as a, you know, as something that was missing on the roster. And is Jordan Howard going to be that guy for you? Can he be that guy for you? And so maybe you still have uh, some shaping of the overall running back roster to do. But I like the pick. I like the versatility that he brings. And to me, if the uh, Eagles draft was like a, you know, a stock in the stock market, like first round, it shoots up. Day two, it's like, uh, I don't know about this. And then day three, I think they rebounded pretty well uh, with their selection of picks. And, and to me, Gainwell is, is part of the reason for that. I mean, he can, he's a real threat out of the backfield as a pass catcher, besides the fact that he can break it off in a running game. And he had, you know, as, as many 40 plus yard touchdown uh, plays as just about anybody in college football in 2019. And so I, you know, I, I definitely like the pick and I think he'll be a nice compliment. He could be that third, that third down back if they wanted to. And, and I think that you have all sorts of options offensively with the pass catching ability of both Miles Sanders now with Gainwell throw in Boston Scott for Giants games and you're good. You know, so after the fifth round, then we begin a run of defensive players. And obviously this is a team that is in dire straits in terms of not, not, not quality, but also depth on the defensive side of the football at a number of positions. And they start the sixth round with this. I'm going to, I'm going to butcher his name. So I'm not even going to say it. I'm going to let you guys say it. I'm not even going to say it, but here's a guy out of USC, 6'2", 310 pounds. Can he be a compliment in the trenches right away to Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, Hassan Ridgeway? Uh, could he be that guy in that rotation? Because he's learning from three guys who have pro, pro Bowl experience and a wealth of NFL experience. We'll see. And that's Marlon Tui Pelotu. Bless you. Nice work. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. He's an interesting one, too. He was um, – a lot of guys had him going much earlier. Uh, some people had, like, a third-round grade on him, at least uh, – the draft analysts. And I think there's some injury concern there. I've, I've read a bunch about that. He didn't want to talk about it, but I, I think that's probably one of the reasons he was still available in the sixth round. But unlike the Dickerson pick, I'm fine with taking a risk with one of your 25 sixth round picks or whatever they had, you know, on a guy with some injury concerns, because then the risk isn't as great and, and the re reward is then worth it. Um, this is another pick though, that kind of points to them not drafting for need because they certainly didn't need another defensive tackle, um, but it looks like he was just their highest rated player and they took him. And to degun your earlier point about them going after SEC players, you know, here's, here's a, a USC player, uh, you know, big college uh, school. And I think that speaks to the, what seemed like a more uh, pure process by the Eagles this time around. Um, you know, where despite the, uh, the scene between Roseman and Donahoe, where, there was uh, more of a collaboration overall. And I think that there's two things that really drove that. One, I mean, they kind of had to revert back to that. They were getting hammered, the amount of criticism for kind of going astray for Roseman and Lori going rogue over the last two rounds of, of last year. And also the necessity of 
because of the weird year that it was where you, you can't really get your hands on prospects in the same way. You didn't have the combine. So I think that you had to rely a little bit more on the tape and the best way to evaluate a player is if they're going up against some of the top competition. So when you're pulling from Alabama, when you're pulling from USC, I mean, I think that's safer bets, especially in the sixth round. The other sixth round pick they got was uh, Teron Jackson out of Coastal Carolina. 18 and a half sacks over the last two years. I don't want to put a lot of stock in, in, in college stats, especially when you play at a, at a place like Coastal Carolina. That's not a knock on where he played or who he is, but I don't want to put too much stock on the sacks. But when you look at his build, what is he like? Uh, 6'2", 254. Is, is he better suited standing up on the outside, putting his hand in the dirt? As we all know, we've watched the NFL evolve through the years. It's finding smaller, quicker guys coming off the edge. So initially when we look at him, what should we consider him as, Dave? I think he's he's a defensive end. Um, but, you know, I look, I, I'm not going to pretend to know a ton about Coastal Carolina. Um, the, the production's great. Like you said, though, I don't know how much stock to put into it. It's interesting because if you had to pick like a body prototype for a sixth round defensive end, this probably wouldn't be it. A shorter, stockier guy. I think typically you'd like to find someone with a little more length, a little more bend. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's kind of that natural bender, um, but that's fine. I mean, we'll see how he develops. When you're talking about a sixth round pick, I mean, now we're into the crapshoot part of this thing, right? I mean, it's. Um, I don't know if he's going to have a role, if we'll even make the team, um, but we'll see. I, that's all I have on. I, I, I don't know a ton about him, and he's going to be one of those guys who is going to have to show up in training camp and play well. He's a guy that you root for, though, right, Dave? I mean, when you hear his story uh, oh, yeah. you know, with his, uh, you know, his brother passing away from leukemia, and he you know, promised his brother that he would make it to the NFL. He's worn the number nine in tribute to him because he was nine years old when his brother passed away. He had his uncle die recently, and his uncle was a big Eagles fan. And his uncle told him, you know, sh shortly before his passing that, I, you know, I hope you land with my Eagles. I mean, you could see the emotion in him. You know, he broke down or came close to breaking down a couple times when he was speaking with us. Uh, so you can kind of tell where his heart is and what his uh, his journey has been like. And so that's a player that I think Eagles fans are going to be rooting for, you know, as we get into uh, training camp here. And see, that's the kind of story that Dave is talking about, those human interest type stories. I mean, what, what a great story um, that is. They close out the sixth round by taking a safety, uh, Jacoby Stevens, uh, out of LSU. And, and I'll tell you, the thing I like most about him, obviously we don't know, how he's going to make the transition from the college ranks to the NFL. But he comes from a football factory that churns out defensive backs, you know. And the fact that they, they, they build him as a tweener, this hybrid tweener who can play down in the box or who can drop back, um, and he, supposedly he's a short tackler. Um, why not take a risk? Because as, as, as Tim just said, anytime you get down to the sixth or seventh rounds, we're already talking about, you know, a coin flip. You don't know what you're getting. You know, you look at a Jalen Mills, he was, what, a seventh-round pick, and he's still in the league. He's just parlayed his career into a nice contract with the New England Patriots. So you don't know what you might be able to get from this kid, right? Yeah, I mean, he's – and he's accomplished, you know. Uh, they list him as a linebacker. He is kind of a hybrid. Um, he seems like a real student of the game. I mean, I'm going off of, a, you know, a 10-minute Zoom call with him, but he, he started rattling off some of the the type of tweener players, the, the hybrid type guys that – he thinks he can be like, or at least that he, he'll watch. 
Um, and it makes sense. It's funny. Their last two picks, they list as linebackers and they couldn't be any more different as players in, in that linebacker spectrum because, um, you know, Stevens is, he's, he's the last time they did this, they got Nate Gary. And I mentioned that and people got all mad at me because everyone's on this Nate Gary sucks bandwagon, but Nate Gary was a fine fifth round pick. I mean, they asked him to do too much eventually, but, um, it, it makes sense in this NFL to find guys like that guys who played safety in college, but are big enough to, to at least be sub package linebackers in the NFL. And, and I think that Stevens fits that uh, uh, he's one of the more intriguing picks of this draft, especially when you're talking about a guy that was taken that late. Yeah. And I I'm starting to get fascinated by what Jonathan Gannon's defense might look like, uh, especially after this draft, because you have a defensive end and a safety they both named linebackers uh, for their last two picks. So how exactly is that going off fit? And you have some, some smaller defensive ends, uh, lighter defensive ends um, or, or defensive tackles that are going to be in there. And, and exactly what's that going to look like? I mean, we, we know, um, you know, that he's going to probably be disguising his things a little bit more than Jim Schwartz. We think that he's probably going to be blitzing a little bit more. Uh, than Jim Schwartz, but what exactly is that, you know, his scheme going to look like and what personal touches is he going to take? How much is he going to pull from Mike Zimmer's defense and that influence? I mean, I'm just, that's one of the the things I'm most intrigued about for this 2021 season to see what that defense looks like. And of course they closed out the 2021 NFL draft with uh, Patrick Johnson, an outside linebacker slash defensive end from Tulane. And as I said, off the top of this podcast, overall, out of the nine picks, six were defensive players, three coming from the SEC. So Howie Roseman has changed his mindset a little bit in terms of uh, not neglecting the SEC conference. Uh, now, I'm going to ask you guys this. I hate doing it. This is When people ask me this, I hate doing it because we really don't know. But I love putting other people on the spot. So I'll ask you this. When you, you've had time now to sit back and, and weigh the pluses and the minuses and, and answer some of the questions you might have had, uh, Tim, I'm going to start with you. Give me a grade for the Eagles overall draft. Look, Dave's like, oh, no, not this again. Give me a grade for the Eagles overall draft. I'm going to give it a, a B overall. Uh, okay. Yeah, and – you know, just like that, that stock market, you know, day one, good, day two, <laughs> a little bit down. That, that kept them from a closer to, to perfect grade for me. And then they shot back up and, and helped redeem themselves. You know, after after day two, it's like, oh, here we go again. You know, there's infighting. You know, they're taking questionable prospects. Uh, but I think overall, they're going to end up with a few decent players. And uh, a lot of people have pointed out that Landon Dickerson, um, many things hinge on whether he's a success or not. Um, if he ends up avoiding serious injury at the pro level, he's probably going to turn into, you know, pro bowl caliber uh, center or guard. And so all of a sudden you're looking at Devonte Smith plus him. And then if one of the other guys pans out, then that's going to be a highly successful draft. And so I think ultimately, you know, they did better than they have over the past couple seasons. I think they kind of got back uh, to a, a more pure process uh, with leaning on the scouts that is going to lead to better success for this team. And I, you know, I think B is probably a pretty fair grade from, from where we stand right now. All right, Dave, you're on the clock. You're great. Yeah. I, I really actually agree with Tim. And I, I think a lot of this draft comes down to Dickerson. And uh, even you look back at 2017, if Sidney Jones works out, I mean, right now that 2017 draft looks awful. Right. But if Sidney worked out all of a sudden that 2017 draft, you go, Oh, they got a starter in Barnett and they got, 
a starter or a very good player in Sydney, and all of a sudden it doesn't look that bad. Um, we'll see. I, it's funny because we talk about all these players, and the numbers just tell you that that this isn't going to work. Like all these guys that I'm looking at right now are not going to be players here. Um, some, some of them might not even make the team, right? So um, I like what they did in the first round. I feel comfortable about that. And Dickerson, you just don't know. So um, for the players alone, I think a B is fair. I'm going to give them a bump up to a B plus just because uh, they got some added value for the future. So if you include that, you figure they picked up a first round pick in 2022. And he also packaged two of those late round picks to get a fifth rounder next year in a draft that's going to be deeper and cleaner and a draft that they're really going to need to nail even more than this one uh, if they end up with three first-round picks. So I like what they did for the most part. Um, the only the, – the negative for me is that the second-round pick scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny that not only do we cover the game day in and day out, but we also scan the comments on social media. And as the Eagles draft unfolded, you hear a lot, you, you see a lot of comments screaming about why didn't the Eagles take more of skill position players? Why didn't they go more DBs early on, so on and so forth? And then I saw the comment from Howie um, when he came out the few times that he talked to you guys in the media uh, where he was quoted as saying, and I, I basically am paraphrasing, you know, he says, as long as I'm here, you know, that's what I'm going to do in terms of building the team from the trenches um, inside out. Okay, I, I, I applaud him for standing his ground, but could he have worded that a little bit differently um, considering what this team needs, which is a lot on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I would say this when it comes to that kind of, that kind of talk. Um, one, I agree with the philosophy. I think it's, it works well for, for this organization dating back to Reed, where, you know, you, you build through, uh, through the big men and then you worry about the other positions later outside of quarterback. Uh, that being said, uh, this team tends to grip on the philosophy a little too tightly at times, and it can lead them astray. And I think last year was probably a pretty good example of that. Like they went into that offseason being like, we need speed, right? Speed. I wrote, remember Roseman said he wrote down these things. And speed was like right at the top of the list. And then, you know, and I think that led them astray with the, with the first round pick uh, Jalen Rager thinking about the explosiveness over uh, the more polished Justin Jefferson, you know, we're a quarterback factory. That's what we want to be. We're, you know, we're going to get churn out these quarterbacks. And so they take Jalen Hurts and the second round, he might end up being a good player, but you know, you blew up the whole Carson Wentz thing uh, in the process and probably missed out on some good prospects as well. Uh, so that's where when they get a little too, focused in on this is who we are it sometimes blinds them from what's right in front of them and that is picking the best players so uh, I agree with the philosophy just not the way that they kind of overextend in the name of the philosophy at times yeah that's a good point Tim um, but I will say like this is those other philosophies were like you know that was their like frosted tips it was kind of a trend for them right whereas this is the linemen is something they've done for, for a long, long time. And right now, like their best players are aging linemen on both sides of the ball. Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, their best players on offense, all 30 plus defense, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, their two best players there aging. Right. So uh, I, I generally agree with the philosophy. I was surprised in a way that we didn't see an edge player, get drafted earlier. I honestly thought the second round might've been an edge player. If one lined up there, um, I think they need to replenish that position pretty quickly. 
Um, we'll see what happens in, in the next draft. There, there are going to be some options there with three first round picks. Uh, but in general, I like that idea. And I, I think that you're right, Tim, it has served them well. And I don't expect that to change. I think that there, there are other things like you're right. They've gotten focused on uh, certainly speed last year, but um, their mainstay has kind of been the lines and maybe some of those other philosophies have kind of taken away from that in a way I'd rather them be a team that builds along the lines and a team that prioritizes speed over everything else or, or quarterback over everything else. I think the lines, it it just makes more sense. And it's, we've seen uh, more success from them when they do that. When we look at this roster right now, overall, we, we see a roster that's getting younger. The organization's moving in a different direction, obviously trying to rebuild it to what they had just four years ago. But it's also a roster, I think, that's still devoid of electricity. Now, we, we think Devonta Smith is going to be an electric player. But as we look at the roster right now, I'm going to ask you guys this. Look on either side of the ball and, and, outside, and tell me a player that you think strikes fear in the hearts of an opponent. Because unless I'm overlooking something, I just don't see it right. I don't, I don't see a player that really falls into that category. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, Devontae Smith, I think, is going to be that guy. Maybe not in like a, like in a Henry Ruggs type way or a Jalen Waddle type way, but, but can slice you up in a Justin Jefferson type way. And I would say that uh, overall on offense, we might be – shortchanging them a little bit just because of the season that they're coming off of, right? That this is <laughs> yeah, yeah. of a season. And the last couple of years, they've been so plotting on offense. But I can also make a case that the collection of skilled players between Devontae Smith and Jalen Reger and Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders is not bad when coupled with mm-hmm. uh, an offensive line that's, that's pretty good when healthy. And so I think that there is a, a level of explosiveness that we might see. And I also think that the coaching staff kind of did a disservice to this group in a, in a lot of ways last year. Um, you know, it just wasn't very creative. And, um, you know, it was just kind of a lost year. Peterson did not bring his best clearly. Uh, wasn't, li- didn't live up to what he, he was before that. Um, so I can see a bounce back. I don't, you're right. I mean, it does, it's not as great as some of the, uh, the skill position groups out there, but, but I think it is on the come a little bit, and I think Devontae Smith's addition can't really be understated. Dave, am I missing something with this roster? Uh, I, I kind of agree with Tim on the offensive side. I think defense is a okay. little scarier. Um, you know, defensively, they have two good linemen and Javon Hargrave, who came on strong last year. But, I mean, we'll see if he can do it for a full season. They have Fletcher, who I still think is playing at a really high level. Brandon Graham still playing at a really high level. Uh, linebacker. I mean, Singleton had a nice year, but we'll see. And in the secondary, um, (laughs) you know, uh, Slay had a good year. He didn't have a great year. I don't think he played up to his level. I mean, I thought he, he he was the best corner they've had in a while, but it was a a bar that was easily stepped over. Right. Um, In safety position, Rodney McLeod is coming off an injury. Anthony Harris. We'll see. Um, I, I think that was a good pickup, but again, not a long-term solution, at least not a long-term solution right now. Uh, so defense, I mean, the, the talent there to me is scarier than offense where I agree with him. They, I mean, Miles Sanders still, I don't think has hit his peak. You have Dallas Goddard who is a top 10 tight end and people overlook Dallas Goddard because the, the receiving numbers haven't been all world but he means like his blocking and it sounds boring to say if there's any player 
on that team who can be electric with his blocking, it's Dallas Goddard because he can open up so much with the way he does it. Um, so I think teams are game planning against him. I do. Um, it, it's not the sexiest guy, right? He's not like, we're not talking about um, like a rugs or a waddle, right? Like Tim said, but uh, I think you have to game plan around him. And Rager's an interesting one too, because he has talent. And maybe with the addition of Devontae Smith, it'll free him up a little bit more. And maybe this new coaching staff will find ways. I mean, one of the things that Nick Sirianni has really hammered home and we can see it from Indy is yards after catch, right? I mean, they, mm-hmm. they prioritize getting the ball into their playmakers hands and letting them create, which is something that I think Doug Peterson wanted to do, but didn't really have a, a good plan for how to do it. So if they can do that, it comes down to Jalen Hurts. Is he clean? Is he protected? Can he be accurate? Because if we're talking about yak and we're talking about quick passes, they need to be on the money. They can't be a foot behind because then the guy has to slow down. He's tackled for a three-yard gain instead of a 30-yard gainer. So you need to have an accurate quarterback, and the way you keep your quarterback accurate is to keep him clean. So uh, it's kind of like a big machine. that It all needs to be working. Uh, The potential's there. I'll say that. I, I thought it was interesting when Howie Roseman was asked about uh, Zach Ertz, you know, since we're talking about offensive weapons, how he did a great tap dance around that answer. Do do either one of you guys expect Zach Ertz to be on this roster come fall of 2021? Good, Tim. <laughs> I don't I don't think he's going to be on the roster. Um, you know, it hasn't been for lack of effort on the Ertz's camp uh, to try to get him out of there. Um And Roseman, you know, has just not gotten the offers that has motivated him clearly to to part with Ertz yet. Uh, If you look at the June 1 and post-June 1 uh, cap ramifications with Ertz, uh, it saves them an additional, I think it's $3.5 million uh, in cap savings if they trade or release him after June 1. So that could be part of his thinking, but I just don't see a scenario in which they patch it up with Ertz and, and he's back uh, and a happy camper and and on this team. I, he's going to be elsewhere, I think, next year. Dave, I noticed you let uh, Tim go first, so now I'm going to I'm going to put you in the hot seat. You think you'll be here in the fall? Nah, no, uh, it, no. It, it, to me, it feels a lot like the Carson Wentz situation where, and I've used this analogy far too often. I'm I'm beating it to death, but uh, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, I think too much damage has been done. I don't think he wants to be here. I think the team has already kind of had it in their minds that he's not going to be here. And what we saw from Howie on Saturday was him telling the world, yeah, this guy is still available. Start offering more. Um, And that's kind of been his message. He hasn't tried to cover it up that much. I mean, that's been his message for a while now that, yeah, he's obviously trying to trade this guy. Uh, He's not going to trade him for nothing. And we'll see what happens because you could end up in a situation where a team wanted the tight end, they didn't get a tight end, or someone gets hurt in training camp and they're opportunistic Mm -hmm. about it. Um, Zach has been quiet publicly, which helps. Um, But at a certain point, I think frustration might rise to a level where he's like, do something, you know, Um, trade me or cut me, let me find my new team. it's a tricky situation because he's he's an all-time great, right? He, you don't want to completely destroy that relationship. It's a touchy subject, but I also agree with Howie that it might be wise to play the long game and, and try to maximize the value. I don't know what his value is. I don't think it's great right now. Okay. 
All right, before I let you guys go, let's do a quick scan around the NFC East. Let's start with Dallas. I hate, I hate to give Dallas credit for anything, but Dallas's defense was atrocious in 2020. They go out and spend their first six picks on defensive players, and they start with their kid, Micah Parsons. And I'm thinking about, my goodness, you put Micah Parsons with Leighton Vander Esch and Jalen Smith. That's not a bad trio of linebackers down there. No. Um, you know, the first thing that strikes you is the amount of resources they put on the defensive side of the ball. Like they just wrap yeah. off one after the other, after the other, after the other. And a lot of them are pretty big names with a lot of talent. Uh, the second thing that strikes you or sh- struck me is, well, we've seen this before where they, they accrue this talent, uh, but some of them coming with character concerns. Um, do they overlook that when they're, when they're building, trying to build a you know, cohesive unit? And so while it looks good, I think we have to remind ourselves that it often looks good in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the resources they've put into the linebacker position over the last few years, I mean, you talk about different philosophies from team to team. I mean, the Eagles, they haven't spent almost anything on it. The Cowboys, you're talking about multiple first-round picks on, on linebackers. Uh, I to me, that's not the soundest strategy, and I like the player. But also what Tim said is true. I mean, their top two picks are guys that come with a little baggage, and there were fears around the league about them. Um, I, I understand that they looked at this draft and thought we have to get better on defense, and they they made an attempt because, what was it, one, two, three, four, five, six first, mm-hmm. six of their first picks were on defense. Uh, I like Odigizua, by the way, the UCLA defensive tackle, another undersized tackle I yeah Tim's right it looks good on paper and they needed to improve that defense um I don't necessarily like that they're prioritizing linebacker all the time and the character stuff could be a problem too okay all right we we go down to Washington and they had one of the top three dif- defenses in the NFL and, and the first guy they take is was Jamin Davis out of Kentucky a, a linebacker to go at already stout defense and then you look at what else the, the Washington team has done. They've added Ryan Fitzpatrick. They added Curtis Samuel to go along with the Terry McLaurin, who has been an Eagles killer. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. I think this Washington football team could be a pretty good football team in 2021. Yeah, and they you know, address their offensive line. They take a tackle on Samuel Cosme in the second round. Uh, St. Juice, the cornerback, uh, was a you know an option for the Eagles. You know, Maybe we'll look back and, and see if that was a, a mistake or, or not for them. Um, but I tend to agree with you, Gunnar. I, I like the direction of this of this team, and you don't say that very often about Washington. But you know, I no. <laughs> you know Ron Rivera has brought a uh, a level of philosophy and accountability that that you know this people can rally behind. A little stability. I mean, it, it was kind of a, a nameless franchise. Mm-hmm. He, he, this is a pretty good draft class here, um, and and two of the names that stick out are Cosme, who they got at the fifty first pick, which is a lot later than I think a lot of people thought he was going to go. He certainly has the athleticism. And then Diami Brown from North Carolina uh, with the 82nd pick, that's a pretty good value spot too for a team that already had plenty of weapons on their receiving core. All right, so that brings us to the Giants. And they play, in the first round, they take one of my favorite wideouts in the, uh, in the draft, Kadarius Toney, uh, to go along with Sterling Shepard, to go along with Darius Slayton, to go along with Evan Ingram. Now, I, I'm not afraid of, of, of Daniel Jones because I think he still has a lot to prove 
in the National Football League as a quarterback. But my goodness, when you surround – if they go to a quick passing game, as you guys were talking about, the Eagles need to go to a quick passing game, get the ball out of Jalen Hurts' hands. I mean, how do you cover all of this? And how about Dave Gettleman moving back? Yeah, Gettleman, yes. And they get the they get the defensive back that we think the Eagles wanted. And look at him maneuvering. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think that they had a pretty solid draft overall, and, and Tony's an exciting prospect. And I also think that Aziz Adjulari, uh could end up being the best pass rusher uh, in this draft class. But there were concerns about his knee uh, to varying extents throughout the league. Uh, some people, obviously, didn't think it was that big of a deal, but others, and I think the Eagles are included in this group, uh, we're a little bit more concerned about that knee. Um, so if the upside hits on him, that can really help solidify the draft class for the Giants. Mm. Yeah, some people thought he was the best pass rusher in this class. Um, that wasn't crazy talking. And I think that there was a reason he was available so late, a lot of, like Landon Dickerson, right? I mean, there's a reason these guys fell a little bit. Uh, first round, I, you said he's one of your favorites. Tony's not one of my favorites. Uh, no, no. I, I look the explosions there. I think yeah. in that spot, Rashad Bateman was a better player. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about they have some dynamic weapons on that offense now. Can Daniel Jones get him the ball? <laughs> we'll see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I things are setting up pretty well for him. All right, Dave Zangaro, NBC Sports Philadelphia. Tim McManus, ESPN.com. Guys, I can't thank you for taking the time to talk a little football with me. Uh, I miss you guys. Hopefully we'll see each other physically sooner rather than later. So until we do, you guys take care. And thank you guys for being on Gun on Wonder Podcast. My pleasure, D-Gun. Thank you for having me and hope to yep. see both of you guys in person soon. Yep. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of Gun on One. The podcast is brought to you by Patterson Square Garden. As I tell you each and every week, as uh, we do in parting, all of you out there, stay blessed. But more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter. So until the next time, I'm Derek Gunn. So long, everybody. of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit GunOnOne.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you.
Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately! Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 